ever told you guys about the time I got stunted on by the cast of Monty Python? No. Nope. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, there was a Reddit AMA, and uh, I got in there early enough to like, actually get my question in before it was totally overwhelmed. I was so excited. I was like, hey, you know, you guys have, have done so many like beloved sketches. Are, are you surprised, though, by which of your bits got famous? Completely forgetting that bits is British English slang for a dick. And every single one of them lit me up the exact same way. They were like, bits? No, we, we didn't take any of those pictures. None of our bits got famous. And I felt like a huge asshole. <laughs> oh, moral of that story is uh, don't go on Reddit. Yeah, that's, that is, that's a good lesson. <laughs> Such an asshole, Dan. <laughs> weekend and uh got a lot of stuff done on a, on a bicycle and feels good excellent and we have dan as well dan how's it going it's good it's good i uh missed out on last week i was up on the north shore uh and yeah that is such a great place to have so close like uh, minnesotans i feel like don't appreciate how lucky they are yeah i saw some of your pictures uh ann and i were trying, were trying to figure out our anniversaries coming up uh, at the beginning of september and we were trying to figure out a place where we can just go for a couple of days and we were actually looking at flights and we could we figured out we found Anna found a flight to uh Puerto Rico for the two of us for $300 round trip total oh. Not per person total for the both of us um and then we also realized that like San Juan is a like hot a hot spot for COVID right now so um we decided against traveling to uh uh Puerto Rico although that was where we went we did our honeymoon um back a few years ago after we got married and, and watched the Minnesota United game. So it was, we really, we seriously considered it for a hot second, but yeah, that's $300 to fly there. I've seen flights for like $20, $25, but you know, it's also, then you have to go somewhere and all that fun stuff. So, so yeah, we're looking at the, uh, we're looking at Duluth probably. And then, you know, just staying up in Duluth for a couple days. So definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, all right. Right now. Well, let's, uh, Again, this is the Dave's I Know podcast. Um, if you're not a Patreon yet, I don't know why you're not, why you're listening to this podcast and not a Patreon. Um, Patreon.com backslash the Dave's I Know. Um, I literally just had a meeting with Christian from Hop Clouds the other day uh, to chat about beer stuff. So that is still all in the works. And I'm actually been sort of kicking around some ideas and uh, want to reach out to you know you guys who are listening. Um, if you have ideas for what we should do for Patreons, uh, sort of add additional benefits, some things I've been kicking around are like shout outs. 
uh, or insults on the podcast. So we will insult somebody for you um, on behalf of you. Uh, open to ideas. If people have any things that they want to do that they think might be fun and, and socially distant. I mean, that's kind of the bigger thing. We can't really do big get togethers right now, obviously, because of, uh, you know, gestures, gestures to the world wildly, but we'd love to do something. So if you have any thoughts or ideas, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, we set us up on Twitter. Um, you can email the podcast. I think it's at the days I know I'm in at gmail.com. There might not be a the in there. Let me double check at the very end. So stick around for that. At the uh, $100,000 Patreon level, we will charter a private plane and go to an FC Dallas game. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, yeah. If you're going to kick into that, let's see. Let me, let me, do, let me do the ballpark. I'll do some uh, back of the napkin math on that one, and, and we'll find out. So, uh, also, you can visit uh, heathout.com. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll, like we'll, uh, we'll create like some sort of like mini website for you on heathout.com if you give it at a certain level. I have to figure out what the exact amount for that would be, but we'll figure it out. And the Dave's I know substack.com uh, to get to the newsletter. So. We have a little bit of United news. Um, we basically are going to talk some second half questions. I threw three questions into our document for the guys to sort of chat about. Um, not a really a, a sort of not a preview of the second half per se, as a sort of a preview, a mini preview of, the, of phase one here, and kind of a, a you know, ca- catching our, our temperature for the second, you know, the beginning of the second half of the season. We have a little bit of MLS news, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Sporting Kansas City match. Uh, before we take a break and then do, um, you know, the Minneapolis City for Madison and then talk uh, Euros and Champions League uh, to wrap the podcast up. So does that sound, sound, sound good, gentlemen? Fabulous. All right. Well, let's start off with the uh, United News. We have uh, – I'm going to go in sort of in the rever- like order from what they happened, so they're not actually in the order here. So Noel Billingsley uh, was loaned out to the Las Vegas Lights FC for the remainder of 2020. This happened, I think, the day after we, maybe two days after we recorded our podcast yesterday, uh, last week. So uh, defender, central defender, hadn't played any time for Minnesota United, going on loan to Las Vegas. Any guys have any thoughts on Noel Billingsley? It frees up an international spot. That is true. Yeah, Noel Billingsley is from New, New Zealand. So New Zealand Youth International. And he was not getting any playing time due to the two positions that, well, so he played a he played a striker in college. We've been trying to convert him to a right back because Heath does Heath things. And basically, he's so far down on the depth chart. In order for him to improve at either striker or right back, he would need to get a lot of playing time and a lot of practice Yeah, those positions. So let's get him some playing time. Yeah, this is the type of move that wouldn't be all that remarkable if we had a functional USL team. This is just, he's your first round draft pick. You don't have a starting spot for him. And that's going to be the, the case in the vast majority with these players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if we still had the relationship with Madison, this would probably be Madison that he was heading to. It didn't make total sense. Uh, I think the reason this looks a little stranger than it probably is is just not having that one fixed relationship that guys shuttle back and forth from. But I think this is good for him. I have no idea if he has a long-term future with this team. Uh, my guess is actually not. And that's really no shade on him. It's just kind of where the team is focused right now. Yeah. Um, Lord, Lord knows uh, he is no higher than third on the depth chart at right back. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think this is great. But, you know, it's, it's a little weird. It's always fun to see where these guys go because there is no rhyme or reason to it, doesn't seem. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of that sort of no rhyme or reason, um, adios, Brent Coleman. Uh, we hardly, we hardly knew he or 
we knew we knew you a little too much. Maybe he was loaned to El Paso Locomotive on the USL Championship, um, a pretty good side in the USL Championship. Uh, Coleman obviously did not see any playing time. He was serving the rest of his suspension for the first part of the season, as well as the first three games of the MLS's back tournament. Um, obviously, he didn't play in the knockout rounds and uh, was an asshat in the knockout rounds. And then um, clearly did not seem to factor into Adrian Heath's plans. I said, and I think I'm not sure which Slack channel, there's several Slack channels I probably said this in. I think Brent Coleman, and, so, and Brent Coleman, too, just so everybody knows, he's out of contract with Minnesota United at the end of this year. His contract's up in, in, uh, in December of 2020. Um, I think the upside for Brent Coleman is he is a second center back at a middle to poor MLS defense. He's a first center back and probably most champion USL championship sides. I think this is the team not wanting to have to deal with the headache of Brent Coleman and then giving him, knowing that they're not going to resign him, just giving him an opportunity to audition for his next, uh, his next job, whether that's in MLS somewhere or whether that is with, an, with the USL team. So do you guys have anything else that you want to add on Brent other than don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you? I don't, if you go back to the Thunder days and you look and the Minnesota Saturday days and you look at the Wood, how many Woodbury and Creighton players that we had brought on here to Minnesota to play pro soccer, I just this whole situation kind of sucks. But as we have pointed out on this podcast, Brent has added a lot of suckage himself. Yeah, and to sort of piggyback on that, this team has not done particularly well by its NASL history. Um, we saw Ramirez frozen out by Heath and then sold in what it has to be said is an excellently good deal in retrospect. It was very hurtful at the time, but it looks great uh, with a little hindsight. Miguel Ibarra totally frozen out uh, before he eventually goes to Seattle. So I think the team at least did a little bit right by Brent here, giving him a chance to to show what he can do on the field. Um, David, I think your analysis of his talent level, I think is maybe a little harsh on him. I mean, before Boxall really established himself last year, he was a perfectly capable rotational center back. So I think he probably does get another MLS offer on talent alone. Um, the extent to which other teams saw the not kneeling in the t-shirt, they want to deal with that. I I obviously can't say no one no one for Minnesota United or any other team for that matter has come out and said a word about it. So I suspect it was something that was noticed across the league, but maybe, maybe not. So I don't, I don't even know about that. I think it's more the PED stuff, honestly. I think I think he would he'd be less likely to get an MLC because he's got that PED stink on him, honestly. So unless he places unless he like plays his ass off for El Paso and, and leads El Paso and, and you know, um makes their, you know, their defense even, I didn't, I didn't look at El Paso's um, records other than seeing what Ruder had tweeted out about them being a, a pretty solid, a pretty solid team. So he goes out there, has a, a really great season with El Paso. Um, then maybe he gets, you know, uh, an MLS deal um, or at least invited to an MLS training camp next year. I just, I think the P, I mean, I don't even think, honestly, I don't even think the, um, the not kneeling stuff is, is really even that big of a deal for most MLS teams or people even other than outside of Minnesota even noticed it. So um you're right i mean it's good good i'm glad that he's getting a shot i i wish he was not a shitty human being but alas here we are 
And then in a, a weird move, uh, Dane St. Clair recalled from San Antonio where Dane St. Clair had been playing really, really well. MJ, you had, uh, you had a few stats in here. You want to throw those out there? So since USL Championship has come back from the COVID crisis and started playing again, even though we're not really out of the whole thing, especially in San Antonio, but basically the, Dane St. Clair has been getting starting minutes. He's been getting their starting goalkeeper. And in the four games back, he has three clean sheets, three wins, one draw. The one draw was a nil-nil, so that was one of his clean sheets. Uh, this includes wins versus Rio Grande Valley, where Carter Manley plays, uh, uh, like a really high-scoring 4-2 to two or 4-3 to three win against Austin Bold, where Jermaine Taylor and Ish Jome are starting on the left side for their back line. And a 3-0 win versus they still have a pitch to play on Oklahoma City. I'm never going to get tired of Ryo OKC jokes. Yeah, Ryo OKC jokes never go out of style. Good job. (laughs) This is OKC energy, but yeah, Yeah. you know what I'm talking about. No, they're they're spiritually Ryo OKC. Every team in Oklahoma City that plays soccer, and honestly, even maybe the Thunder, are spiritually Ryo OKC. And they don't have grass to play on. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's interesting because do we, I mean, do any of you guys have any speculation as to why they brought St. Clair back when he's probably, I mean, unless they're, unless something's wrong with Miller and there's a very, very real possibility he might get playing time. It just, it seems, it seems so odd um, for, to, for them to make this move considering Emmings is, is in town. He can always be like, you know, I know he's, he's got to go back to school and everything, but he can be your emergency keeper, right? Like it's not, he don't need, you know, I and, and if you and if you if if Miller goes down and Rajat Singh has to go in, Emmings is on the bench, and then you can always bring back St. Clair at that point. Why St. Clair is coming back at this point? Just bog, and they, I mean, there's been nothing from the team on it either. So I'm just curious if you guys have any speculation. What I hope is that because he's gotten playing time and good results, is that I hope Dane St. Clair has leapfrogged Rajat Singh and is going to be pressuring Tyler Miller for for playing time. I don't think that's what's happening, but that's what I hope. Yeah, especially considering there's not going to be any like friendlies um, or you know any U.S. Open Cup or anything like that where you know you might consider putting St. Clair in the in between the sticks. So, Dan, did you have anything? Yeah, I'll I'll even kind of go one on one over MJ here. I don't think because I don't think you recall Dane St. Clair to be the backup. I don't think if Miller is fully healthy now. If Miller came back and sprained knee, something like that, yeah, okay then maybe where you've got a, a potential for a starting controversy. But, you know, there was some frustration last year with Miller at, I'm sorry, not Miller, uh, St. Clair at Madison, not always getting the starting minutes. And that wasn't the case here with San Antonio. So he was finally starting to get into a rhythm, playing super well. And then to recall him, I don't think you do that unless, A, you think there's a legitimate shot he's going to get starting minutes for you, or in this day and age, B, um, you think San Antonio's COVID protocols aren't sufficient enough and they may injure or sicken your player. I, there's no indication that that's the case. And given that we've seen, now seen two other players loan to USL, it isn't some systemic United has an issue with how USL is doing protocols here. So I, I would be less surprised if Minnesota United trades Tyler Miller sometime this week than if Dane St. Clair is getting recalled to be the third keeper on this roster because that to me is just almost ridiculous. This kid needed minutes. He needed them bad, but yeah, 
Um, the, so getting way, 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 way out over my skis here. I will point out if he starts in MLS this year, it will mean that the top three players United took in the draft all then turned into MLS starters. And that is super impressive. And he and Gasper, speaking of that draft, both uh, uh, played together, right? They both played at Maryland? At Maryland together. Yeah, for a year, but... All right. Well, there you go. Uh, Dan said it. Uh, Dane Sinclair's going to be starting against San, uh, Sporting Kansas City on Friday. So. <laughs> um, all right. So the other big, the other big, big piece of news um, uh, concerning Friday, and um, Ike Opara is at least out for the next couple of games. Um, they didn't – the team has not given us a determination, or they have not sort of set a timeline. They have not uh, told us what the reasoning is. Um, I came out and said, it was, and the team came out and said it was a pre-existing condition for opting out of the tournament. Um, there's no word on what's going on or why this is lingers. The, I mean, the thing I, I am concerned about when I hear that um, is, is concussion, um, especially with Ike's history that he's still, you know, maybe dealing with some sort of a concussion that he maybe got that, um, that second match of the season or maybe even the first match of the season that he was dealing with. And uh, that he's still dealing with the ramifications of that. I mean, we've seen here in Minnesota sports is alone. We've seen what the what can happen with concussions and how long it can take someone to recover. With uh, Joe Maurer and and Justin Morneau and on, on the baseball side, and I know there's been a lot of stuff on the hockey side as well. Um, so, do you guys have any other any other thoughts? I mean, I again, I, I really worry that it is a concussion, and I hope I hope for Ike's sake that he's really. I sh- it seems like he's taking it very seriously. It'd be nice to know um, from the team. But again, it's also it's also sort of a you know personal thing. So I don't I'm not like I'm not beating down the front office's doors to figure out what's going on with Ike. But it would be nice to have some sort of indication that it's not something that it's a concussion, not something that is something different. So to paraphrase Don, not Garber Rumsfeld. There are known knowns, known unknowns, unknown knowns, and unknown unknowns. And this whole situation has a lot of unknown unknowns. And so for any information that you want to glean or try to read into this, I'll just defer to our healthcare insider slash HIPAA legal expert, Dan. Uh, man, it's been a long time since I got HIPAA trained. Uh, fortunately, they haven't updated the law, so all of my old training still counts. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to guess at injuries here. I think David has put out something that is entirely valid opara does have a pretty substantial substantive concussion history um the one thing that does give me some hope is uh when asked about opara Heath has been consistently pretty optimistic um his this is being cast as pretty negative uh but i think the exact quote was something to the effect of you know he's going to need at least 2 weeks to me that reflects more on the fact that and and heath brought this up numerous times during mls's back they never had 11 on 11 practices so i think what he probably is seeing with opara is just complete lack of game fitness um do i do i wish they would have framed it a little differently yeah because i am concerned that there's something going on here, but it's, it's just impossible to know. Um, this is something major league baseball does better than any other sport, which is they do require some pretty specific injury, uh, to go on the disabled list. So, um, you can, you can sort of start to develop a framework for, Hey, this is what this injury is. This is what this timeline is. And I'll, I know 
because I was told teams aren't always super honest with that. Uh, fun fact, if you're listening to this podcast, if you ever see a Major League Baseball player miss a game with flu-like symptoms, that's a hangover. <laughs> if he actually has flu-like symptoms, they will list him as illness. So it's a little, uh, yeah, little insider knowledge for you. Um, <laughs> uh, but so I, I don't want to guess at what's going on with Opara. You know, I mean, it could be it could be something as similar as you know, or as simple as when he was doing um, individual or at home training in the beginning of COVID. He pushed himself a little too hard, got a slight hamstring tear. That's an eight to ten week injury, but the team doesn't have to disclose it, so they're not going to. So there's just there's a million things this could be, but I choose to be a little bit optimistic that whatever he's dealing with he's more or less past the injury phase and what they're trying now to do is get him back up to a a full game fitness um sure. i could be completely ass wrong on this but i only time will tell because the team flat out doesn't have to yeah i mean it's interesting just because uh, this kind of leads us to our next point <clears throat> excuse me uh, we don't have any word yet on uh when uh Debassi is arriving and again whether it, when when he will be fit uh Considering they haven't, he hasn't played a game and since I believe the early parts of March, March sixth or seventh, I believe was the last time that he played a, a match. And knowing Heath, um, Heath will either do one of two things: he will not play him because he's not match fit, or he will throw him in the in the lineup uh, with no time whatsoever to get him match fitness uh, during the match. And <laughs> and with looking out Billingsley and Coleman, we are back to more or less two center backs. I mean, I know James Musa can go back there and, and play center back. Um, you know, there's probably another player on the team who could step back. You know, Ozzy Alonso could probably in a, in a ridiculous pinch play center back if needed, but we only have really two center backs on the roster and not a ton of, uh, not a ton of uh, uh, defender depth too. Um, you know, losing Apara, Opara, and then, you know, again, not knowing what the sort of the word yet on Debassi and his visas and all that stuff. Is a it's a pretty tenuous thing considering we're gonna have what uh, six games in about uh, less than a month here coming up um, six games in like three and a half weeks so it'll be interesting. I will All say right. this though, Aha has been a presently good surprise in the MLS back tournament. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I don't think any of us expected Aha to be to be starting and to be playing as well as he has. So um, I'm just wondering when the uh, when the clock strikes midnight on that uh, on that. <laughs> so. All right, and then uh, the last bit of Minnesota United-related news. Uh, the U.S. Open Cup was officially canceled uh, for 2020. Uh, this was supposed to be the 107th year of the U.S. Open Cup. It's one of the oldest soccer tournaments, or football tournaments in the world, actually, and uh, it was unfortunately canceled. Uh, they, also, they also announced that all the teams that were invited to the tournament for this year, a uh, your Minneapolis cities, will be invited to the tournament next year. I don't, and they're not going to play any sort of uh, – or who, any teams that played their way into the tournament. They're not going to do any – um, play in stuff for next year. So Minneapolis City still has their their shot of uh, potentially playing Minnesota Minnesota United in a U.S. Open Cup match, which would be hella fun. Can't wait to go to Augsburg, <laughs> watch Minneapolis City and, and Minnesota United. So it could happen. It could. Yeah. It's yeah. That's there's a there's a slight possibility that it could happen. All right, guys. So I have a quick a few few quick questions, and uh, I want to throw them out there. They don't have to spend a ton of time on these. Um, they're really just kind of. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. So um, we'll start with, uh, well, Dan, we'll leave your question to the very end because I think that might actually take the most time. Uh, so first question, phase one is going to be three home matches and three away matches. 
Uh, we're playing Sporting Kansas City on Friday. We're at FC Dallas, at Houston, home against RSL, home against Dallas, and at Sporting Kansas City to end that first uh, first phase, the first part of phase one, or the first phase. What is the minimum number of points uh, Minnesota United would need to consider this phase a success? And we talked before the tournament about Minnesota United needing to not get out of the group, you know, at least play one or two uh, knockout round games to be a success. So we consider probably MLS is back as a success. We're second place in the Western Conference right now, one point behind uh, Sporting Kansas City, who we play twice in this, in this uh, little phase. So who wants to go first? Uh, how many points is, uh, would you consider a success? Or do you need to be considered a success? I say 10. MJ, 10. Okay. I, I, say, I say three wins and a draw, primarily because who we're going against. Yeah. You know, Dan? Oh, sorry. Well, I was just like, we're not going against the, the creme de la creme of, of MLS in, in this. You look at Sporting Kansas City twice. FC Dallas twice, Houston and RSL. And no offense to those clubs, but we sh- we should be able to get ten points. Yeah, I United has played very well against Sporting, um, with the exception of the game last season where they mysteriously rotated a huge percentage of the squad. Uh, still a little baffling now, even about a year later. Um, I think both of those games are going to be really tough. Uh, so I, I'm hesitant to put too many points on that, but I actually pretty well agree with MJ. Um, I think getting RSL at home is a, is a nice boon. If we were going to RSL, that's just a, a much tougher game at altitude. I'm going to say 12. I'm going to say 12 of a possible 18, because if this team has not just playoff aspirations, but deep playoff aspirations, they need to be taking – like Dallas looks terrible right now. We'll get into this a little bit. Uh, in a little bit, they they are almost unwatchable. They are they right are now. they're a fucking garbage tire fire. Uh, yeah, it's they're fucking bad, man. They're really they're, bad. Yeah, so that needs to be six. I feel like we should be taking three off of RSL. I, that's a bigger ask, and that puts you know somewhere between let's say you know six off of Dallas, even a draw with RSL. That's seven. That means one to two wins against SKC, Houston, and SKC again. I, that feels doable to me. If they get 10 points like MJ wants or, or nine and they get three wins, they don't get the other draw. I'm hardly going to cry over those that type of result. But if this team is who they say they are, then I think 12 points is what they need to get. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to one-up you now. I say 13. I think they need 13 points. Um, I think that is uh, four wins, a draw, and a loss. I think – uh, I think they either draw or lose at Sporting, um, and then they either draw and or, or draw or lose at Houston. I think they, they. I think again, just basically back to your point. If they want to, if they are who they say they are, then they need to show up. And in, in both to your guys' points, this is not. They've had a really good run against Sporting Kansas City recently. Um, they FC Dallas looks like I said like fucking garbage. At Houston is probably the toughest game. Um, or at Houston or at, at SKC are probably the toughest games. Um, just because Houston can be very dynamic, but Houston also can look like shit too. So let's let's not uh, no let's not cover them in glory because Houston doesn't play defense. So Minnesota can can put a couple goals in. Minnesota actually can play some defense. And then yeah, RSL we've we've pretty much owned RSL for the last you know most of the last 
four years playing against uh, playing against them. So I would say thirteen. I mean, it wouldn't be yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer to like ten, um, ten or twelve. But I, I think if they can get thirteen points, especially you want to consider you know considering that we want to be hosting playoff games and multiple playoff games, not just like hosting a first round playoff game. You need to beat up on teams like FC Dallas um, and RSO when you can. So. Anyways, all right. It is. I'll, I'll throw this piece out there because I think it's relevant given how uh, how strange uh, these times are. All three of Minnesota United's away games are in stadia where fans are going to be allowed. So that's going to be a weird X factor that some of those stadiums will have atmosphere. It's also worth pointing out two of them are in Texas in August. So that's going to Houston, Houston, I didn't. I didn't believe was having fans. I knew. I know Dallas is for sure. Obviously, I know Sporting Kansas City is. I didn't see if Houston had confirmed that they were going to be allowing fans, even though they're in Texas. I, I'm not sure if they had confirmed that, though. I, I heard they were not. Yeah, that's the last I heard, was that Houston was not allowing fans. RSL is, but we're playing RSL here. Right. Um, that's, so, okay, legally they can. I guess I haven't heard a, a team. Yeah. Last I saw was they were not allowing fans in at Houston. Um, but that that may have changed. So, but yes, you're right. They legally can based on you know the thing you know the rules in Texas and all that. So, I don't think. I mean, honestly, with at Dallas, I mean, I watched that. I watched both of those shitty, shitty FC Dallas Nashville games, and we'll talk about that. <laughs> and the fans aren't going to make much of a difference. <laughs> you know, it's not really. It's not. I don't. Yeah, but Sporting Kansas City, they might. I mean, those are you know way more. Uh, I mean, I think they're they're way more well attended. They're better uh, fans. Let's like let, let's just throw that bomb out that they are better fans than listen, anyone in Texas. Listen, listen. The Beer Guardians are great as terms of a supporter group, and they're awesome. But the rest of the stadium is not quite there. Let's let's put it that way. Unlike Sporting Kansas City, where the Cauldron is fucking great, and the rest of the stadium is generally pretty there for the matches. Right? They're there to, to cheer on and other things. So, um, don't have to, we're not throwing any shade at the Beer Guardians. Maybe. And, and the racism is way more passive aggressive at Sporting. That is. <laughs> Also true. All right. And then their second question, uh, on a scale of Calvo to Heath out, which is not really a very good scale, uh, how much do you want the team, to, like Minnesota United, to finish the season behind closed doors? And then I guess my second question is, what if we make a run to the final, which again would be hosted, MLS playoffs being hosted uh, starting in late November, going into middle of December. So playing an MLS Cup final in St. Paul on December 12th would be very tantalizing. Um, how much are you guys interested in, in going to a game? You know, I'll start off. I, I really do not want this team to play with fans behind, you know, period. Um, until we have, you know, until the, the infection rates go down. And even until we have, I mean, I know that that's, you know, until we have a vaccine, ideally, that is well tested and, and you know, being able to mass produce and be able to get, get into people. I know that's not really realistic. I think, you know, if there's a, a good, uh, tampering down of the of the curve like we're starting to see the, the talks of europe now it sounds like england is targeting um middle of october for fans to come back into stadiums i know germany has been testing it out a little bit and i imagine we'll see start seeing fans in soccer stadiums around the world um if we haven't already in some places starting in you know the major european uh leagues um sometime in later this year so what are you guys what are you guys thoughts on on this first of all david when you say on a scale of Calvo to Heath, how much do we want something? Does Calvo mean that we don't want it? Or does Calvo mean 
we really want it. And same Calvo, thing with it's, it's on a scale of Calvo to Heath out. So Calvo being you really, really, really do not want it, and Heath uh-huh. out being you really, 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 really want it, right? Like we okay. really want Keith out, Heath out. We really don't want Francis, Francisco Calvo. Does that make sense, Andre? Yeah, yeah. Thank, Thank you for explaining. Arbitrary made-up uh, system. I was thinking you were saying Calvo out and Heath out, or Calvo in and Heath in. And I was just like, there's no difference there. Yeah, that's a negative to negative scale. Yeah, that that makes a horrible sense. scale. Anyway, th- thank you for explaining to me that to me. I'm going to say I'm Calvo then because I do not want to have any fans in stadiums. With the caveat, our infection rate goes really, really low. We start seeing that curve get bent going downward at very, very aggressive rates. Yeah, I so on the the scale we've got laid out of of Calvo to, to Heath, I'm a I'm a solid Romario Ibarra, and I'm not going to expound on that at all. No, uh, <laughs> but I think I think the huge X factor here, and it's true in the United States as well as Europe, actually, uh, is what happens with flu season. So uh, one thing that epidemiologists are forecasting is a particularly severe flu season, and that exacerbating uh, issues around COVID. So if that happens, it may be a situation where the COVID infection rate is actually pretty manageable, but the total hospitalizations and infection rates are become unmanageable. Um, so that's a that's definitely a fly in the ointment. I I so badly want this to feel like something I was going to be okay with. Like if Dallas has a month of of home games and they have no cases of community spread that's a valid data point. I mean, there are, there are baseball teams, as David mentioned, that are going to try to do fans. There are college football teams that are going to try to do fans. Uh, if you believe Jerry Jones, the Cowboys are going to try to have fans. And I wish that were surprising, but it's not. And all of these service data points, right? Can this be done safely? And even if they come back and, you know, there's a, no, no true outbreaks or, or no serious serious spread. I mean, how, we have the Saints here in town that are doing fans, and I haven't heard of, of anything coming off of them, so that's a good sign. It's just, it's hard to imagine. They've only had like six games, and it was last week, so we, we're not 100% sure, or, you know, we don't 100% know yet. We may right. have, we may know for a little bit, but, and I, everything everything I've heard from, so I had, I, as I meant, we had the podcast a couple weeks ago. I talked to a friend, actually went to a game that, that Saturday after I had the podcast, and he was a pretty, he was pretty, uh, the sections were roped off, so you couldn't really. I mean, people were kind of going around, but most people were, were abiding by the rules of staying in their staying in their areas, and people were, you know, having masks on and things like that. So, I think there's a legitimate possibility. I mean, I don't know. It's weird because we have, you know, like as you mentioned, we have college football, you know, uh, division, you know, uh, Big Ten, Pac-12 saying, nope, we're not doing it. Uh, you have the SEC and, and the Big 12 saying, fuck you, we're doing it. Um, the Saints are are having fans. We have. Uh, I think I saw was a, some, I saw something, I think it was a tweet today, basically, that said 80% of Green Bay Packer fans who were surveyed did not want to go to a game at Lambeau. And if you have the Green Bay Packer, I'm, I'm related by, uh, um, by law to some Green Bay Packer fans. 
and they're fucking intense. And if Green Bay Packer fans are saying, nah, we rather, and they're in, in Wisconsin, which is another state, which is basically kind of like, fuck you to all this shit. Even if they're, if they're saying not a great idea, maybe it's not a great idea. And so I'm, a, I'm uh, yeah, I'm very much hesitant as well. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if the team in, at some point in this, in, in the future decides to have fans. So. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the other big X factor is they are, the, the way the state law is drawn up right now, it's going to be very difficult for them to have fans and ditto for the twins. So they're going to need to lobby walls pretty hard to get that changed, which isn't undoable, but I think that points to, they're going to need some pretty serious evidence to say, we know this can be safe for reasons X, Y, and Z, as opposed to Texas, which is if no one is actively shooting guns in the air, it's considered safe until proven otherwise. Yeah. I think the burden of proof is flipped here in a way that it's not in other places. Yeah. Right now it's the, it's the task force that they have. It's basically 1500 people for outdoor gatherings like that is the max. Um, they have to definitely change that to make it even, I mean, if it's only, if it's, if it keeps up, if they keep it at 1500, that is actually like the saints can probably break even maybe make a little bit of money. If it's, if it's a full house um, that it doesn't even make sense for the, the twins or the, uh, Vikings or the Minnesota United to open the doors for 1,500 people at any of their stadiums. And the, and the Minnesota United has the smallest of those three stadiums. So, um, yeah, I can't imagine that would happen unless they get some sort of agreement where they can, say, like do like 25% capacity or something like that. That would make more sense for them. And, and you know, I, without knowing what the, the numbers behind opening, like literally turning the lights on for Allianz Field for a, for a game and who they would need to bring in and all the things they would need to do. I think, you know, at, at 25% capacity, they, they might be able to break even maybe. So who knows? All right. And then our final, uh, our final question. Uh, this is a question that Dan, Dan proposed to us. Uh, so we'll let him get the first crack at it. Uh, assuming, so we're assuming Reynoso is a done deal here. Now we're not saying that we're not, uh, but if we, if we assume that he's a done deal, we assume that number 10 is coming in, whether it's Reynoso or somebody else. Um, what is the next hole that Heath needs to fill in this team? Because Heath always has a, a hole that he needs filling. hey So, Dan, why don't you kick us off? Um, with the second half of the season, we have a, we have a wide-open transfer market uh, till October, basically. So, we have plenty of time to fill a hole. What is the hole that you would fill? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe that Amaria is more the player we saw in the first two games of the regular season than the player that we saw at MLS's back. So I I would have, if there were a, a truly top-tier striker available, I would make a call on it. But that's not the area of, of most interest to me. I think it's a wing. Um, and this is no necessarily shot at either Finley or Lude. Um, but you look at this team, it's not going to be a fullback. Uh, Matt Nair signed long-term. Gasper, uh, Matt Doyle in his column today said that if Gasper can figure out how to cross the ball in, he's the best left back in MLS, which is crazy high praise. Um, and we've seen Gasper's crossing improving. So either way, neither of those guys is going out. Assuming Opara is some level of healthy, it's not going to be center backs. Debassi's already coming in to, to sort of shore that up. So to me, from the team's perspective, it's either a striker or a wing and, I think, honestly, it's probably going to be left wing. I think even the team has to recognize that Lude is the weakest player on the field and one of the most expensive, and that can never stand in a salary-capped league. MJ? 
I interpreted your question differently, although I now see where you're going with it. I'm actually pretty happy with our wing situation, assuming that if we have Reynoso, Molino is going to get a chance to play one of the wings. Fair enough. So, so I'm less concerned, although I totally get where you're coming from, Dan, with the wing idea. And wings sound really delicious to my belly right now. But looking more long-term, we need a young Ozzy Alonso protege. We need a young six in training. Musa is a great backup, but he is also a great backup because he's experienced, seen a lot of minutes, and he's old. Um, we need someone young in the number six spot. That is not Dotson. Dotson is a eight, maybe a 10, maybe a right back, uh, but he's not a six. So I see that as kind of the biggest need. And then assuming that Debasi can play both center back and left back, we need someone in case Metinair gets injured that isn't Hassani Dotson. And we need, we need depth. So I'm looking at depth and where we need depth and kind of more next three to five years, what would be nice. And I, I see backup six, backup right back. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm of the belief that you can, you can always upgrade your striker. Um, and Amaria looked really good uh, for those first two games. And then he looked like shit. Uh, granted, he was injured for the MLS's back tournament. Um, so I think that is uh, an important hole. I think, I mean, if, you know, if, if basically if you're telling me that we bring in Reynoso and we get, we have basically one more, um, one more bigger, big-ish type move, I would say we be bringing in someone who can play, um, yeah, either right back. I, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that back. I'm going to say center back. I think we need uh, some, not someone who's a backup, but someone who can challenge Boxall. I think Boxley has been great. Um, you know, he was, you know, you can make an argument that he was, team of the tournament, you know, one of the better players in the MLS's back tournament. But I think you can always upgrade there. And especially if Ikopar is out for any long stretch, having another center back and ideally someone who can play either left center back or right center back. But I think definitely um, someone to push Michael Boxall. Cause I'm, I'm, I, you know, based on sort of some of the stuff that I've read about Debassi, you know, he played, he played almost primarily left back for the last, you know, two thirds of the year in the French league uh, with ambiance. He's been mostly a center back, but he's been sort of pushed over to the left back and whether that is a, uh, uh, because that, you know, he's just a little older for the French league. And so, you know, there's a younger kid in there or if he's legitimately not able to sort of play the center back position anymore. I don't know. It's a good, it's, it's an interesting point. So we won't know until we see him, but I think legitimately bringing in a, someone who can challenge Michael Boxall on the regular, or, you know, in this case, Jose Aja, until Ikopara gets back, would be, would be my number one priority. All right, so that's a little bit about the uh, Minnesota United's second half, uh, or the first part of the second half. We're calling phase one, apparently, according to MLS. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the other MLS's back news. Uh, FC Dallas and Nashville played two of their three makeup matches for getting kicked out of the bubble. The real, as people are calling it, the real COVID Cup. And uh, on Wednesday, or uh, sorry, on um, yeah, Wednesday, uh, Nashville beat Dallas in Dallas, one to nothing. And then yesterday, uh, after a three and a half hour lightning delay, 
Um, I stayed up for this game. It was the the most boring fucking game I've ever seen. A 0-0 draw in Dallas again. So Nashville goes down to Dallas and takes four points. Smash. And it doesn't really smash and grab. They were the better team in pretty much, you know, 150 of these 180 minutes that these, that these two teams played over the course of four days. Now, the real story, though, is uh, what happened before the first match uh, when MLS went out, made the players walk out, played the national anthem. Uh, everybody on both FC Dallas and Nashville took a knee, and some shitty-ass FC Dallas fans uh, threw beers, uh, threw open containers, cursed at players, and Reggie Cannon uh, came out with after the match with a very impassioned statement Dan, I know you want to talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about this, so why don't you why don't you go for it? Yeah, uh, if you haven't heard Cannon's statement, I highly recommend looking it up. Um, Reggie Cannon's been a leader in MLS, even though he's still fairly young, and, and Dallas has every reason in the world to be proud of him. Um, just a, a phenomenal leader and and very expressive, um, or very clear in his expression. I think is even the, the a better way to say it. Um, just how upset the team was uh, that the fans would do that. And it's one of the first times that we've heard a player notably point out a misstep by the fans. Usually there's, there's a lot of hedging in those statements of, yeah, it's just a few bad apples or, you know, we, we heard it and that's a, that's a bummer, but it's not reflective of our fan base. And Cannon was very direct and said, you know, this, this can't stand. We can't keep doing this. Um, The team there is there is enough discontent uh, with how that whole situation went down that the team is – I don't want to say that they're selling him because that feels like it's punitive. They are investigating uh, having him go to Europe, and I th- and Cannon seems to be fully on board with that. Uh, the, the one team I've heard connected is Barnsley, which feels below Cannon's talent level. Um, but, yeah, just – so this is the, the really the first time that we've seen – kneeling in the anthem in MLS. Now, NWSL, we did see this in the in the Challenge Cup, uh, but this is the first time in men's sports that we've seen it really come to a head. I was super proud to see 100% of the players on both teams. And there was, that was, you know, I don't want to say, there was collaboration. I mean, both of those guys, um, or both of those teams were, were fully on board. And, and as part of Cannon's statement, he was hearing from white players on the team fully supporting him and talking about how disrespectful what they had just seen was. So there's a lot of, of unity in FC Dallas. And I think that's great, but man, what a black eye for the league to have such a great statement at MLS's back chose not to play the Anthem and the players had asked them not to play the Anthem. And they, they went up around that played the Anthem and this whole really, really ugly scene played out. And I think it just, it's such an unforced error. Yeah. There's a, I think there's like, like there's for some reason they have to play it like as way, like the way that some of the shit is written. I think they're going to get that change real fucking quick. Honestly, I can't imagine. And they had actually made a, a yesterday before the rain delay or before the lightning delay. Um, they had agreed to not just the teams weren't even going to be on the field during, during the anthem. They're going to stay in the locker rooms, which if you have to play the anthem for some reason in some, if, whether some sort of rule that you've concocted, and the players can't, you know, just the best thing to do, I think, is just keep players in the in the locker rooms until you just get rid of the anthem, period. And we should be playing the national anthem before matches. That's a whole um, that's a whole other 
long discussion that we don't have the time for. I just want to point out one thing before we move on. Uh, the Dallas Beer Guardians, as I mentioned uh, earlier, they're the, the main supporter group for Dallas. They put out a really amazing statement uh, supporting Reggie Cannon, um, basically saying that they're, you know, all, everything that, we're, that we want RSGs to say, racism is not tolerated, that if, if anybody in their group is, is being racist, to point them out, they're going to kick them out. Like, it was a very uh, harsh and aggressive statement, and I, I fucking love them for that. They're a really great group, and I'm really glad uh, that they're there and that they have the back of their player because it could have easily – they could have easily hedged and, and, you know, hemmed and hawed and, and put out a mushy mouth statement, and they did. They went right at – compared to what uh, the Hunts put out after right after everything happened – did you see those the FC Dallas statements that came out right afterwards? Yeah, the really interesting thing to me on this one was that you essentially had those three statements. You had FC Dallas's team statement, which was yeah, I've seen worse, but that's a low bar because sports statements are typically terrible. Um, it was not good. The Hunt statement was even stronger. So it's interesting to me that the owners were the ones willing to go out a little further than the team so that's there's a fascinating dynamic there i'm not going to weigh into but it's weird and then yeah you had the beer guardians putting out the statement that you want an sg to put out saying we we're not here for any of this bullshit like we're here to support our players yeah they had some great people up as well for the second game yeah i missed that uh they had a injustice any uh anywhere is a threat to ju- justice everywhere. Yeah, it was like a, co- they, a couple of two, a couple of two polls. It's on their Twitter. It's on the beer, the, the beer guardians Twitter. We're we're an audio medium, so it doesn't really does justice to like try and describe it. But it's they were great. There were two polls, and it was this was after a three and a half hour lightning delay. So they were really committed to. When was that kickoff, to, David? Eleven fifteen our time. Yeah, yeah, or like yeah, it's like ten after eleven or something like that. So yeah. A um, couple other very uh, bits, small bits of news, and then we're going to move on to Sporting Kansas City and the match coming up on Friday. Um, ah, bye-bye, Huang and Biom. Um, we hardly knew ye. Uh, a guy I really, really loved and, and really wish Minnesota would have had him, he was transferred to uh, Ruben Kazan for, looks like, 2.5 million euros, MJ. Is that correct? Yes. The, the transfer fee was 2.5 million euros. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the, he was so good, and he was just wasted in, in Vancouver. For those of you who haven't been keeping track of Vancouver Whitecaps, because why would you? Um, Everybody except for Vancouver fans, and even some of them. I, I love watching Korean players, so that's why. He has been being played at second striker, at 10, at left central uh, midfield, and right wing. And he's been damn good at all of them. He has a very high soccer IQ, kind of like Kasani Dotson. He can play in multiple positions. Amazing ability to read passes and passing lanes and position and get interceptions. He has like the fourth most number of interceptions for the league last year, I believe. So very talented player, only 23 years old. He did want to go to Europe. Um, He didn't seem to be happy in Vancouver or North America, which makes me sad because I would love to see a lot more Korean players get time in MLS. But, yeah, he's off to Russia. May he enjoy the winter. It is interesting. (laughs) This is a lot of money for Vancouver. Um, If they use it well, turning one player into some strong youth growth, may actually be a decent move, uh, but they won't. They, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
there's there's a logic to this move and they still will screw it up and like that's it you know 2020 has been such a crazy year i'm just uh super glad that some things are are predictable and normal and that vancouver is crap is one of those well, you never know. We haven't we haven't seen what they've done with uh, Alfonso Davies' uh, money yet, so there's a, there's a possibility they may do something good with it. He says it without cracking a smile. All right, <laughs> let's hold on. Let's talk about the game coming up. We have a we have a match against a uh, familiar foe, the friendliest rivalry in MLS. Sporting Kansas City comes to town on Friday. Uh, kickoff is at seven thirty, I believe, um, our time, or is it six thirty? I can't. I don't even remember. Uh, we'll look it up here in a second. Uh, anyways, um, we played Sporting Kansas City in the uh, MLS's back tournament. We've played them twice every year. Um, played them a lot in the Open Cup in the MNUFC NASL days. Uh, so let's uh, look at the betting lines. Minnesota United is plus 150 to win. Sporting Kansas City is plus 165. Guys, we're not the underdogs. We are favored. Don't tell Heath. What is Heath going to do? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, draws, a draw is plus 260. Uh, over-under is two and a half goals. The over is minus 125. The under is even. So Vegas is expecting uh, at least three goals in this game, or um, that's where the money is. So who you got? What's, uh, who's good? Who sucks um, on Sporting Kansas City? MJ, why don't we uh, start with you? I really like Gotti Kinda. He adds a lot to their midfield. He's got great field vision, good passes, good carries with the ball. Uh, Polito has been an upgrade at a very much needed position in, in striker this year. And that's something that they were desperately missing for the past. I don't know how many years, maybe since they got rid of that one guy. <laughs> he who should not be, who should not be named. Yeah. And we Mr. all know who that Mr. is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the last, the last guy I will, I will mention is, uh, the uh, Roberto Puncek, the their Croatian center back, who again is not a Icopara replacement, but has been better at plugging that central uh, defensive back hole than the other people they've tried to put in there. Well, yeah, considering what they did last year, anybody would be an upgrade. Um... Yeah, I'm setting the bar low here. Someone but. would be an upgrade over what their defense last year. So, <clears throat> um, all right, Dan, who do you got? Uh, I'll throw out a name that we may or may not see because his minutes have been super weird, and that's Gianluca Busio. Uh, just turned 18 a couple months ago, so still very much a young prospect. A guy who looked towards the end of last season like he was pretty heavily going to feature in the team's plans and who has serious, serious interest from Europe. Uh, He's been linked with Fiorentina on multiple occasions, and Juventus apparently has put in a call about him. So this isn't isn't a a young player who's good by young MLS standards. This is a world-class young prospect. Um, But his minutes have been really weird. He only has two starts on the season, uh, started against RSL at the end of the group stage, and then uh, in one of their – one of their knockout stage games. Um, And he's just, he's been muted. Um, He he plays a a little bit behind. uh, So when, when sporting plays their first three, their their four, three, three, he plays in the the first bank of three. So it's kind of a a midfielder with an attacking mind. But if you look at his heat maps, he just sort of drifts. Like he's very, he's very 
positionally disciplined, so he's always on the left side of the field, but he's just kind of diffusely everywhere. Um, he had two key passes against RSL and a yellow card, and that's kind of what you can say about his game right now. So, you know, I, I'm hesitant to, to say that, uh, you know, he's bad now or anything like that, but he's a guy that it looked like the team wanted to build more around, and with the emergence of Kinda, who I, I think has, has outperformed even the team's expectations for him, and Polito, I think their shape has changed enough that he's not really getting uh, the kind of service and the kind of minutes that maybe they had envisioned for him before the last offseason started. It's also, we should point out, Alan Polito has completely changed this attack. He is a one-man wrecking crew and is worth every penny they paid for him. And given the struggles we've seen other high-priced attackers have in MLS, that was not a given. So, shouts to Alan Polito for being worth the money. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, if you go and get the, the Liga Mekis group uh, golden ball winner and then he comes in and starts doing what he's doing, I believe he's got uh, three goals and four assists uh, on the season so far. Second only, you know, combined goals and assists uh, to Diego Rossi, who's got eight with six goals and two assists. So the guy is definitely giving him uh, every single penny's worth. Um, so I'll mention Tim, Tim Malia. Uh, obviously, Tim Malia has been one of the best goalkeepers in MLS uh, since he started uh, taking over for uh, Kansas City in 2015. Um, other than his sometimes crazy, weird decisions to come out and make tackles outside of the box, um, or outside of his uh, six-yard box, he's a uh, you know he leads the league in, in shutouts. Um, he's got 47 in all competitions, uh, or sorry, 47 in MLS. I mean, the guy's like the and 65 regular season wins for this. Um, this is leading Sporting Kansas City, mind you. Um, 151 appearances. He's basically he's been you know everything that Sporting Kansas City has asked of him and more. Honestly, you know he is you know every year very much in the conversation for the golden gloves for MLS and, you know, sad. He's not really got a U.S. look. Cause I think, you know, he's a, he has a lot of what, uh, you know, what we're looking for in the sort of the modern goalkeeper with being able to distribute and also being good um, on his line as well. And then the other, um, since no one mentioned, no one really mentions people who suck. I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, and Matt Beasler are not what they used to be. And that was, <laughs> You know, that, you know, we saw that, um, especially in that, uh, not the Minnesota United game against Sporting Kansas City, but the Colorado game against Sporting Kansas City. Uh, Zussi kind of got, he kind of got a, it was a shitty, uh, a shitty penalty uh, for a handball that really wasn't a handball. But the Colorado um, attackers really carved up Zussi and Beesler, you know, for 90 minutes or, yeah, maybe not quite 90 minutes because then they got the, they were down to nine men, so they weren't really attacking as much. But for like 75 minutes, they really, carved up Zuzi and Beasler. And that is where I think Minnesota can actually um, actually have some opportunity to exploit. We'll talk about that here in a second. They're old, um, you know, they're, they're grizzled veterans. So they, you know, they they make up some of that lack of speed with some savvy and knowing where to be on the pitch and all that. But I think that is where Minnesota can uh, exploit uh, Sporting Kansas City. MJ, you have something. Some guy that maybe doesn't hit the stat sheet on the goals, but uh, forward that they ended up because they got Polito that they moved over to right wing is uh, designated player uh, Johnny Russell, thirty old Scotsman, and he just is really good at keeping possession, finding those slots and seams to be dangerous, and he's had a very good year. And them moving both when they play the four three three and their four one four one, him on the right wing has has worked for them. 
yeah, he looks far more comfortable in that position than he did as striker up top last season. Yeah. And then finally, the last person we'll, we'll talk about here is uh, Peter Vermees. Um, that man does not like losing to Minnesota. He likes beating the shit out of Adrian Heath. And I can't imagine he's going to have a um, – he's not uh, Matias Almeida in that he's going to just keep running the same game plan out the, at you. He will figure out something. Um, and I'm sure he's pissed that they lost to Minnesota in the, uh, the MLS's back tournament, even though they end up winning the group. I'm sure he definitely does not want to lose again, uh, and especially you know considering that we clinched the playoffs last year at Allianz vis-a-vis beating Sporting Kansas City. So we get two wins on the trot against Sporting Kansas City. I'm sure Peter Vermees is not going to let his team forget that, and I can't expect that he's going to want that to happen again. So that brings us to uh, how we should play them. Dan, why don't you start? Yeah, guessing Peter Vermees is going to be angry is a really cheap bet. It's a little bit like guessing the sun is going to rise in the yeah. east. Peter Vermees goes to bed angry and wakes up angrier. There's a lot. There's a, you, there's a lot of vague on that one. If you're gonna if you're gonna bet that one, a lot a lot of vague. So <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not making any money on that one. Uh, the ridges on his forehead are almost <laughs> another wonder of the world. I mean, yeah. So how how do we play uh, Sporting Kansas City, Dan? Uh, I think we sort of adopt the model uh, that the team played against Columbus. I think this is a team that Minnesota can counter against. Um, we're more athletic than they are. Uh, but the key here is going to be stopping Alan Polito. I know Kiri Shelton was the more active player uh, when we played at MLS's back. I'm disinclined to suggest that much can be taken from those games, particularly that first game when everyone was still finding their sea legs. Polito just dominated offense or defenses for the rest of the tournament. So I think that's the, the key player. So I would almost be interested to see them adapt the Columbus playbook and get somebody like Hassani Dotson and basically staple him to Polito. That said, Polito's game is far more similar to Nani's, who tore Dotson a new one, than uh, Nagby, who was shut down by the combination of Dotson and Asi Alonso. But theoretically, Dotson would not be playing in that right back position. He'd be playing in the midfield because um, we play when he played against Nani. He was playing as the right back. Oh yeah, that's true. He's giving Metnier's back, right? So then you have you maybe run out a four three three with uh, Grey Goose, Dotson, Grey Goose, Alonso, and, and uh, Dotson, uh, and you kind of. I think you're right. I think you're, the game plan that you're talking about is makes a ton of sense. Um, We've seen what happens when Alonso gets pulled out of position, like Orlando did when they used uh, Pereira. Uh, Pereira uh, I can't pronounce that guy's fucking name as a sort of decoy to pull Ozzy Alonso out of position, and which allowed some space for Nani to make stuff happen. So yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, having a, a bulldog uh, on uh, Polito, getting physical with him, taking him out of the game, uh, really will disrupt what Sporting Kansas City wants to do on on offense. So. MJ, what are your thoughts? My only thing is that whatever Minnesota United does, do not wait until the dying minutes of the game to score a tying and go-ahead goal. Why? Start, start, look alive from the from the starting whistle, please. Those are fun, though. Like when you're on the edge of your seat and pissed off for 80 minutes and then they turn it on and then you, you have, you know. We don't have this – we're coming back from COVID – lazy excuse we're coming back from reaching the semifinals and and mls is back and we and we are should be fit and ready ready to play now you know the bossy icopara they might not be fit and ready to play but in general we should be ready to play let's not look like we just took a month off 
That's fair. That's fair. I would, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, it would be great if, if Molino and Amaria are healthy. Um, Cause those guys looked decent together in the first two games, right? The first before the tournament, before yeah. COVID and the before times, you know, either also too, honestly, like, depending on how Amaria's looked, why not give Toy and Molino a run out? Those guys have, have chemistry clearly, right? From last year, this year, giving Toy and, and Toy a start with Amaria, uh, or sorry, with Toy and uh, Molino and letting Toy go for a little bit and see what him and, and Molino can, can uh, dredge up. Maybe it's a goal or two early on in the game and makes this game a lot easier to play. So I'd be inclined to, to run, yeah, run out Toy with Molino um, we know Robin Lude's going to get the start on the left and then, uh, Finley on the right, um, with, uh, then you're probably going to, you know, there's the, the problem with that again, is that you don't have Dotson out there, right? You probably, Dotson's probably your super sub first one off the bench. Um, cause you, if they want to play that four, two, three, one, cause it'd be Greg Goose and Alonzo with the, your regular back line. Um, so the question is whether you try to get Dotson out there and, or you, uh, or whether you don't. In that case, you know, maybe you have Molino out on the left uh, with a toy, Molino, toy, Finley front line with Dotson, Grey Goose, and Alonzo in the middle. I don't know. What, do, you, do either of those two? I mean, we know Heath likes to play the 4 2 3 1. Would you switch to a 4 3 3, given that you could get Dotson out onto the pitch? I like I Dotson onto the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would play the 4 3 3 just by virtue of knowing that Beasler and Zussi are exploitable and Dotson is great on the counter. That to me, yeah, in theory, you would be sacrificing attack for defense, but he's such a good two-way player. It'd almost be like having two aids. Um, yeah. So I mean, that, that to me is a worthwhile change. And the thing I, I will say is Amaria is a really, really good outlet for holding up the ball. He's sort of the player that Angelo Rodriguez thought he was, but was definitely not. Um, and Toy is great off the bench. So on the offhand that you do ship a goal, I think it's worth having Toy come on. Now, I would bring him on in like the 65th and really give him a run if that's the case. But to me, it's a little bit the difference of, do you want to play for nil-nil at the half and one-nil at full time? Or are you willing to go into the half down to one, but then win it for three? Because um, if that, if you want to run, if, if your goal is to run at Kansas City and make them defend in a way they kind of haven't shown an ability to, then I do think you start toying Molino. Um, you don't have Dotson shadowing Polito in a one-on-one, and you press your fullbacks. Right. The thing that I like about starting Toy, in addition to what you both said about having chemistry with Molino, I like the idea of having either Schoenfeld or Amaria come off the bench. Like, Either of those guys running at tired defenders, older defenders like a Beasler, sounds great to me. Yeah, I mean, don't forget we also have five subs in this as well. So we have Raheem Edwards that could come on. You know, we have Ja'Cory Hayes as well in terms of, like, getting getting uh, more legs out there too. So Schoenfeld's not a, not a fleet of foot, man. So <laughs> Schoenfeld's going out there because we're – it's because we're protecting a lead. Um you know, a, a one goalie or something. Uh, anyways. All right. So in that case, uh, who wins? MJ, let's uh, start with you. I say Minnesota United win three to one. All right. Dan? I'm also going to take a Loon's win, but I think it's tighter. I think it's two one. All right. You know what? Let's, we'll, let's make it three for three. 
Minnesota United. Uh, I like your track meet idea, Dan. I think it's four to three. Let's score some fucking goals, man. Let's, if we're gonna play, <laughs> gonna play these games, at least the at least they can do is be entertaining. So, all right. With that, we'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk uh, Minneapolis City for Madison and uh, a little bit of Europe. So we'll be back after after the music. Yeah. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we. back minneapolis city uh quick update the intramural league kicks off this week up at the nessie uh you can watch some socially distant soccer uh go to uh, minneapolis city sorry mpls city sc uh, on twitter uh to make a reservation i don't have the the actual reservation link in front of me because why would i um so yeah so if you want to watch some uh some socially distant soccer that's the best place to do it and then uh, mj you want to bring up the uh the trolling of the St. Louis City marketing team. <laughs> so, number one, I have hated the MLS for the lose. Uh, that which is their Twitter handle and their handle for everything was MLS for the Lou. And a bunch of local people from St. Louis said, That's "Not the Minneapolis City part of this, MJ. Get to the Minneapolis City part." It's just so. Ah, oh, the whole thing is organized. They chose a two two images, one with a pure red background that looked very very much like the Minneapolis City's uh, North Minneapolis Futures team marketing. Same font, same red background. The word city placed in the center. Same font, same colors. And then they had a, a four panel that had kind of this red, navy gray and yellow kind of uh, patchwork, if you will. And then with this Piet Mondrian style thing, the same thing what they, what they used for the, what is going to be the Riverside Rovers for their futures team. So they twice picked same colors, fonts and, and backgrounds and there is all this uh, collusion and stealing, and it's all in good fun. Everyone who knows Minneapolis City knows that they are not literally accusing, they're not going to hire a lawyer or literally, they're just having fun. And to tack it all on, they, they brought back up again, you know, a troll they did about the Manchester United crazy zebra kit that they have a version of that's way better than the Manchester United one. And it's funny how serious and offended people get about all this. I think it's funny how serious people get when Minneapolis City tweets something. Because <clears throat> Minneapolis City knows that they have an army of Twitter followers who will then tweet the shit out of it. And I know that this is, this is that they're joking and anybody who's associated with that club knows that they're joking. But I think sometimes they forget that there's some really, pe- there's some really serious people who follow them, who don't realize that this is a joke and this is all in fun. And then they get really fucking serious. And then it gets really, and then it's just like, you know, that joke on the Simpsons about the horse being already dead, you know, um, <laughs> that's, that's the impression I get. And I love, and don't get me wrong. I love Minneapolis city. I love everything that they do. I, I literally, I don't, I, they've made me made one or two missteps in their uh, entire existence. As far as I'm concerned, their kit designs are great, but 
everybody sort of accusing St. Louis City of, of stealing. And let's, let's see, St. Louis City SC, a shitty nickname. Their badge <clears throat> was fine. If they had just done that badge and just got rid of the sideways St. Louis City font on it, would have been a hell of a lot better badge. But I also, you know, I don't necessarily care as much about badges. And when you're, you know, design stuff looks alike. And I think that's, I think a lot of other things like, Everybody who I know who's a designer was like, oh, yeah, it's just like, they're, yeah, that's the hot stuff right now. Everybody who's not a designer was like, they're fucking stealing those thieves. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, <laughs> let's hold the fucking horses here. So The yeah. thing that did amuse the hell out of me, though, and I've worked with a ton of designers, which is the unfortunate side of being in marketing. I kid. I don't. Um, <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm with you. People, people are like, are you kidding? Like, they had 20 designers working on this. They've been working on it for six months. I'm like, yo, you guys have never worked with a designer. It is 100% possible that was stolen. It wasn't, but it was possible. <laughs> like, yeah. they've been working on this for months. Like, what, you never wrote a paper the night before? I've also been working on this for months. It doesn't mean it wasn't completed in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. So it's really funny to see people, non-designers, not know what things are trendy. Um, it, but it's equally funny to see non-designers and people who haven't worked with designers say, oh, this stuff takes years. Like, they've been working on this for a long time. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> it's not like this is a, an Adidas kit that they need, you know, three years of lead-in to, to actually produce, right? This is, a, this is a design aesthetic. This, you know, I'm sure they spent plenty of time on this. You know, if anybody, this, this is a great opportunity. If you haven't, uh, Zeus Jones was the, the team who did the original, the, the, the design team that did all the branding for Minnesota United when Minnesota United was relaunched after the, after Dr. McGuire bought the team. And they have a, they have a, a flip book basically of all the different designs that they did and all the like, really cool shit that just the team decided no. And like the team decided on the branding and stuff that they ended up with. Um, so I'm sure that there was lots and in, in lots of uh, uh, input that went into it. whether it was like one person doing it or 20 people or who the hell knows, but clearly like, if you're looking at any sort of like things that are being launched and branded right now, the shit that is on the city stuff, the shit that's on the mini, the St. Louis city stuff, it's all very similar, very, very similar color palettes, um, fonts, things like that. So <clears throat> I just think the outrage is hilarious, mostly because I think just Minneapolis city doesn't necessarily realize they have an army of, I don't, I, they're not trolls, but they're definitely like, there's some very trollish behavior that they, <laughs> they employ. Um, and yours truly included. MJ included, yes. I know I saw some of your stuff, MJ, so I'm including you in that. Uh, you're, you have very trollish behavior on, online for many other reasons as well, though. So I, 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 I can be kind of a troublemaker. We'll just put it that All way. All right. <clears throat> Let's talk uh, Ford Madison real quick. Uh, so since we actually last talked about them, they play a few games. Uh, July 31st, they drew with Greenville 0-0. Um, they lost to the Richmond Kickers down in uh, Richmond, one nothing. And then last Friday, uh, they put us – uh, curb stomping on uh, Tormenta, the South Georgian team. Michael Vang, um, St. Paul kid, first among American to play professionally in the United States, scored, played, got his first start, and scored in the eighth minute. He wears number eight, very serendipitous. He scored the first goal of the game. He almost had a second goal in that game that was uh, uh, stolen by uh, uh, Don Strong, unfortunately. But um, – <laughs> Or Messon had a hell of a match. Hell of a match. MJ, what do you want to say about about this? He's 20 years old. He was he's born in St. Paul, Minnesota. And the only thing that I wish were different about his resume is that instead of going to Shattuck, it would have been great if he came out of the Thunder Academy. 
<clears throat> yeah, for sure. Um, but I think it's pretty amazing. The first Hmong American to play uh, professionally in the United States. I had no idea. I mean, I would assume that somebody would have, but that, you know, that's, that's really, that's really cool. And really, and great for Fort Madison and, you know, wish, I know they're, they're not playing, they're not playing in, uh, in Madison. They're playing in Wauwatosa, which is just outside of Milwaukee. So they are actually having fans at those matches. So if you are in the Milwaukee area and you want to try and catch a Fort Madison match and you feel comfortable going to a uh, soccer match, uh, give them a shout. Um, they also signed a, uh, a kid, not messy. It's really hoping it would be messy or they would do some sort of fun, messy signing. Uh, another 20 year old kid, uh, Noah Fuson, another attacker. He's, he's a forward slash midfielder. He, uh, played in Europe, uh, very, very, very briefly. I think he's from LA if I believe, if I remember correctly. And then he's trialed with a couple of, uh, uh, USL championship teams, Sacramento Republic, and then one other team. Maybe Loudoun United, I think, was the other one. Yeah, I think it's Loudoun United. Anyways, he signed for Ford Madison, um, his first professional his first professional contract. I think when he was in Europe, he was in, on an amateur amateur deal or whatever. So, uh, Madison has a couple of matches coming up this week, uh, this uh, Wednesday at Union Omaha. Uh, Union Omaha's first this newest int- introduction to the uh, or newest ment- ment- entrance to the USL League One. 7 p.m. and then Orlando City's U23 teams on Sunday the 20 uh, Sunday the 23rd at 4 p.m. Both those games will be on ESPN Plus. Anything else you guys want to add on Ford Madison? Other than uh, once Loon JC Banks is doing really well. Yes, he is. I had uh, I had forgotten how quickly USL, particularly USL League One teams, can change their fortunes. You know, I'd watched a couple of the, the early Madison games and that attack looked terrible. Yeah. They, they were not getting good service from the midfield and it was hard to see how, how the pieces were going to fit together. And then, oh, lo and behold, the next game they scored four goals. So yeah, they, scored, um, they scored a goal against North Texas in their first game. I think they lost like three to one. They hadn't scored a goal in, in, in two weeks or three weeks and, and they scored four. So, yeah. Which was the, the club record both most goals scored and highest margin of victory, I believe. I know margin of victory for sure. So it's a it's a great reminder that, you know, Europe, there's this week-to-week consistency. MLS, there's a, a pretty decent amount of that. And boy, is that not the case in USL. Yeah. So they were in 11th place before the season start, before this match kicked off. Now they're in seventh place uh, on four points through four matches. Uh, they're right behind Tormenta who has played six matches already for some god-awful forsaken reason. How they've played six matches, I have no idea. But apparently they've played six matches already. So, all right. Um, MJ, you have a, we have a Once a Loon segment. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, our Once a Loon this, year, this week? I want to highlight uh, Mohamed Saeed because he started today in the Swedish top tier, Alice Lenskan, and played for uh, EK Sirius against uh, Helsingborgs. And... They won. He scored the winning goal. They won 2-1. Uh, Mosaid plays 90 minutes, three shots, one goal, 70 completed passes, and a 77% passer completion rate, which if you're considering that he was playing like an eight, like where he usually plays, that's not good. But considering that he was playing striker, that's a pretty good pa- passer completion rate. If you, if you have that little time to respond, you're getting the ball in service with very little space. Uh, so yeah, he, they played a four, three, three. He was their, their nine or false nine and, uh, he gets game winning goal. Excellent. Excellent. 
Well, speaking of Europe, uh, you guys want to talk a little uh, champions? That's my Absolutely. Name. All right. So there was there were some uh, hella interesting matches uh, over the weekend. Um, let's let's just do it in chronological order. The first one, Atlanta uh, one, PSG two, and all I have to say to this one was, damn, Atlanta was so fucking close to pulling this one off. Um, they but, went up right one nil. They went up one nil in like the thirty, like the twenty fifth, or it was early in the, was, you know, probably about midway through the first half, um, and held on and held on. And their defense, they don't play defense, and they defense was not great. Neymar had uh, Neymar had a hell of a game, in spite of the fact that he could not finish to save his fucking life. Like he <laughs> tearing through the Atlanta defense, but then just he would get to the goal, and he would just Alexi Gomez it from five yards out, right? Like, it wasn't even like he was shooting from, like, 30 yards out and Alexi gomez it. He was he was wandering the ball. Um, but, yeah. Raheem sterling it. Raheem sterling it, uh, as we'll allude to uh, later later here. Uh, yeah, so, um, but yeah, do you guys have anything else you want to add? And then PSG, Mbappe comes on, and, and the game absolutely changes when Mbappe comes on. Um, not that, you know, PSG. Imagine that. Dominate, dom- PSG was dominating possession. Don't get me wrong, but, like, when Mbappe came on, it just seemed like there was another gear that, that they clicked into and, and realized, oh shit, we're losing to Atlanta. So uh, they get the, the game tying goal in was, I believe it was like the 85th or 86th minute. And then the game winner uh, in uh, stoppage time, um, which was just a, just a, a dick punch to Atlanta. I couldn't believe uh, this is their first champions league semifinal in 25 years. I would have said that Pete, like I knew they had tripped up before they hadn't won it. And that was a huge deal for their ownership, but 25 years, a long time. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the nice thing about Atlanta too, is that they have, they're going to be, they're not like Ajax um, where they're going to sell off a bunch of their pieces. They're, they're going to keep most of their pieces. They qualify for champions league next year. Uh, vis-a-vis Syria. So they'll be back. Atlanta's a fun team to watch. They score a lot of goals. And they give up a lot of goals. So it'll be a fun team to watch. Um, so that was a, good, a great game. And then we had uh, the next game, which I don't think was necessarily as good, but from an American perspective was even better because RB Leipzig beat Atletico Madrid 2-1. to one, Care of Tyler, Tyler fucking Adams, <laughs> a defensive midfielder scoring the game-winning goal in like the 85th minute, 86th minute again. Um, did you guys have anything on, on Leipzig and, and Madrid? Should be noted, scored by a, scored by a, a massive deflection. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a massive deflection, but you know what? Ball was in the back of the net. It's all it was, that matters. It was, it was, it was going on goal and, and the, the Madrid keeper probably would have made a save on it, but it doesn't matter. It was going on goal. So that's all, that's all that matters. Um, I know people were saying that this is possibly the greatest uh, goal ever scored by an American in the Champions League. People were putting it up there, and, and there's some other people that I know pushing back saying it was a deflection. <laughs> it probably should have been an own goal. So it wasn't. It's, it's no Dempsey for Fulham against Juventus. Like yeah. I saw, I, I think it was Grant Wall had Tyler Adams' goal ranked more highly than than Dempsey's. It, like that's just hurtful, man. <laughs> that's you can't say things that are that untrue on the internet. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, buddy. Oh, <laughs> oh buddy. So uh, that was a, that was a, 
Friday. Yeah, that was Friday. Uh, or no, this Thursday. Friday, Bayern took on Barca. Bayern wins the match eight to two. I just, it was, and it was, it wasn't even, it was a, it was an absolute drubbing. I, I believe at one point it was two to one. That was the closest that Madrid, that, uh, that Barca ever got to uh, this being a game. It was one uh, one. Well, it was one. Was it, oh yeah, Suarez. Yeah, Suarez scored the goal, and made it one one. That's right. No, 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 no. It was the Jordi Alba to Alaba own goal. Made oh. It Oh, that's right. Cause yeah, so it was like Alba to Alaba. Yeah, that's right. Cause yeah, you were the, you, we were there. We were watching the game together. Um, yeah, that's right. It was the own goal. Cause yeah, at, at halftime there had been five goals scored, and they had all been scored by uh, by uh, uh, Bayern players. It was four, it was four one Bayern, and they had scored all the goals. Yeah, yeah. I think it was I think it got I think they got to five two uh, when uh, when Suarez scored. But God, that's, yep. this was this was an absolute uh, curb stomping. The Germans doing what the Germans do best and just absolutely humiliating teams. Um, Alfonso Davies. So if you haven't seen Alfonso Davies, uh, basically take Semedo, uh, put him in his back pocket, basically own him for the rest of his life. Do yourself a favor and get to uh, and get to uh, Twitter and just put in Alfonso Davies murders Semedo, and uh, you'll get some really awesome gifts and some really awesome clips on it. And for the techers out there, I want to know what you call that because you, he basically used the same move three times to get him to bite, and he bit on the third time. The third time was the charm, and I you can call it a you know three foot feints or three uh, you know inside scissors or whatever. But we call that a we call that a Davies. Yeah. One of my one of my favorite things that came out of this match was that. Uh, as Vancouver realized they wouldn't have Davies any longer, they were starting to entertain offers for him. They had, there were conversations with Barcelona and the Barcelona president basically said straight up, why would I want any Canadian? <laughs> Which is like, it's so reflective of that club's arrogance. I mean, the whole slogan, Mescao and Club, this is more than a club. I like, I love that stuff. I get, I, I sincerely, I love the soccer culture. They're like, we're not just a club. Everybody's just a club. That's how this works. But, like, the sheer misunderstanding of how the soccer world has transformed, that there is talent everywhere, that you need global scouts in New Zealand and Australia and French Guiana and Canada. Yeah, even Canada, because Jonathan David is killing it for Ghent, too. Like, this is not a, an isolated Jonathan incident. Jonathan Lewis is, is about to be sold for more money than, they, than Alfonso Davies was sold for. Is he uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Very, very soon, yes. Um, so, it sounds like so. To say nothing of, of the North American goalkeepers who have been absolute top tier for forever. So I just, I love the, no, why would I want any Canadian as he skins your team alive and Bayern go fullback to fullback for their, what was it, their sixth goal? I think it was the sixth goal. So speaking of the, that following goal, the, uh, I think it was the seventh goal, um, <clears throat> was scored by one Mr. Philip Coutinho, uh, who, this is my fun, my favorite fact from this match, and this is why I'm now a, a Bayern fan for the rest of the tournament is that if Bayern wins the Champions League, Barca will need to pay Liverpool 5 million euros as part of their purchase agreement for Philip Coutinho three years ago because he will have won the Champions League. So Bayern wins the Champions League. Barca has to pay Liverpool 5 million euros uh, as part of the transfer deal because Philip Coutinho won a Champions League. That is fucking chef's kiss. Absolutely brilliant. Come on, Bayern. <laughs> Come on, Bayern. 
<laughs> Coutinho's still on a loan, right? He, he's, yes, he, yes, he's still on loan. So Barca's yeah. still paying him. Barca's yes. So Barca's on the hook for that five million euros that they would owe to uh, uh, to Liverpool if he wins a, if he wins the Champions League. So just bringing on Coutinho when they did was disrespectful enough. Like that was kind of a slap in the face. It's not like he was getting a ton of time for Bayern anyway. To then have him turn around and score two goals, particularly as shoddy as the second one was. Yes. Like, oh, I mean, there's no, there's no such thing as a good eight-two win. But yeah. they're like, to, oh, it's just disrespectful, man. Yeah. <laughs> he scored two, and he, I think he had a hockey assist on the third one, or he, he, he was involved in a third goal for at some point. So. It was pretty crazy. So, yeah, MJ, do you have anything else on, on Barca-Bayern? Uh, just that, uh, just like Juventus did after their uh, horrible loss in the quarterfinals, um, that Barca also is taking after FC Seoul's great uh, genius idea of sacking your coach after an embarrassing loss. So, Kiki bringing- is no longer with the club. You see who they're planning on bringing in or what the rumors are? Ronald Koeman, former, former, <laughs> former Barcelona player, <laughs> former Barcelona legend, Ronald Koeman. So he will solve everything. Oh, yeah, definitely. That is uh, uh, as a as a Everton fan, I can tell you that uh, <laughs> he solved a lot of things for us. I don't want to belabor this point too much, but honestly, I don't think any coach can fix Barcelona's problems within the next year, year or two. That squad is old as hell. And it's like, it is messy and the boys. And the pipeline is dry. Like, it's really cool to have Conrad De La Fuente, the 16-year-old American in the Barcelona Academy. It's also a little bit of an indictment of where that academy is. Uh, they're not, they are not going to be the Barca they have been again for a long time. So, I like... Good luck to Ronald Koeman, but I would honestly rather have them do this than take some really good up-and-coming coach and just completely burn him out by essentially being like, hey, congratulations, here's a million dollars. Please replace an entire senior squad. And, oh, by the way, you don't have Messi anymore because he hates us so much. <laughs> Did you see the, P- the Gerard Piquet interview, post-game interview? Yeah, like – it. I can't think of a good American analog for that, but there are so few times when truly senior professional athletes like that come out and they don't even just say, I'm embarrassed. They look embarrassed and they sound embarrassed. PK sounded like he had been caught with a hand in a cookie jar. Like he, he sounded like a child who was about to get disciplined. Like he hated that match. He hated it to hell. Yeah. The, the other thing that I'll give PK credit for is after not really throwing people under the bus, but just pointing fingers, like he said, I'm not going to name names, but we need a change at this club. And it's not just coaches and it's not just players, you know? And so he was trying to get into like front office Academy kind of deeper ways that the club has run some of that arrogance and maybe overlooking parts of the globe being part of that, Dan. But then he turned it on himself. He said, and I will be the first one to say that if, if I'm part of the problem, you need to replace me too. And you don't see a lot of top-level pros, even in their the advanced years that PK is, kind of towards the end of his career, saying things like that. Um, you, you know, 
Ibrahimovic would never say anything like that. So um, I, I, I <laughs> was a very good point. I, I was I was impressed with with PK's uh, post game interview. All right, and speaking of problems, uh, Man City one, Leon three. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the the shots, uh, the chaser to your uh, to your shots, um, the uh, the one extra uh, puff on your vape pen that you probably didn't need. Leon um, came out guns a blazing, but not really guns a blazing. They came out, they played a, they, they were playing a pretty defensive game. They they attacked um, Man City's central defenders. That that is where Man City is is the weakest in terms of their uh, their their play time. Their players and uh, and granted, we're probably they they there's a couple of VAR situations there that definitely went their way. Um, but again, uh, Man City's defending defense looked looked in shambles, in spite of the fact that Pep Guardiola ha- Guardiola has of the teams that were in this that were you know left in the quarterfinals, uh, probably had the most attacking talent. He left most of it on the bench again. So this goes back to another one of. Uh, Pep Guardiola is like, does he overthink things? Everybody was saying, is he overthinking it? Um, he played three in the back, which they hadn't played really all year. It was just a, <laughs> a strange formation that they really hadn't played all year. Um, you know, he, he read is- the interviews of, with him afterwards, and, and what he was saying made sense. But it's also like, you're playing the seventh best team in the fifth best league that's only played two competitive soccer matches since fucking March, what in the fuck are you doing? Why are you not putting like just all your attacking talent on the field? This, this is a thing that we know Man City can't do, which is defend. Uh, and they just they and you know it was funny because it was uh, I'm blanking on the the name of the guy who scored, but he, they scored. Uh, he scored four of the his five four of the five goals uh, have been scored against Man City. He's in the in between Lyon and Man City has been scored by him. Oh, Dembele. No, no, that's no. Dembele scored four goals against Man City. The other one, uh, the guy who scored the first goal. Oh, Kame. Kame, yeah, he scored yeah. four goals uh, uh, against Man City as well um, in the last two years. It's just, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely bonkers what Man City. And then to what we alluded to earlier, Dan, with Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus, for that matter, missing absolute sitters within moments of each other, and then uh, Leon going and scoring. Uh, scoring a second goal and then scoring a third goal after that, after that Raheem Sterling could have easily tied it up again at 2-2 or no, could have, could have scored to make it 2-1. Leon goes right down the pitch and scores a goal to make it 2-1. And then just, then Man City just absolutely crumbled. Yeah. 53 seconds between Sterling's miss and ball hitting the back of the net for Leon. I think it's a testament to how good Man City is that Leon scores the first goal and None of City's players looked all that interested in the game except for Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne, who played superbly well, and basically single-handedly kept him in. They get the goal, and they get the ball to Sterling with a gaping open net. I think this is about the 71st, 72nd minute. Yeah. All he had to do was tap it in. Just tap it in. I mean, this is full happy Gilmore. (laughs) Yeah. And despite having been comprehensively outplayed for 70 minutes, they were they were that close to winning the game. Because if they score that goal, Leon's not scoring their second or third. That's a given. Uh, no matter how bad their defense looked. So uh, I think if you play this match 100 times, this is the one. This is the one Leon gets. But they got it. 
and and all this is going to do is create a ton of drama for Man City because anytime Man City, do they, do they win the League Cup this year? Or do they go without a trophy? No, they won. They won the Carabao Cup. Yeah. Okay, so they got half a trophy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> put that in the same category as the Audi Cup and the Community Shield, um, which is a step below the Emirates Cup. Just so we're all clear on preseason tournament <laughs> cup power rankings, like. The, the messy reuniting with Pep, two unhappy people storylines, that's already out there. And it's so wonderfully insane. And I will be forever grateful to Leon for that. But honestly, if Byron scored 10 against them, I will laugh the whole time. But I actually won't be that shocked. No, no, absolutely not. I was, here's the question on that. Leon have beat Real Madrid. They've beaten Manchester City. At some point, and I'm not saying that they don't lose 10 to 2 or, you know, 8 nothing or something like that, but you have to give them props for getting where they have. And certainly, certainly, Lyon will play more disciplined and more defensively and have better structure and shape without the ball than Barcelona did. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's undeniably true. I, I just think... Bayern, since the restart, and we haven't talked a lot of Bundesliga. I mean, obviously it's been over, but we, we had talked about it a lot. So since the restart, yeah, there was one or two games where Bayern didn't look super good. They always looked really disciplined. Like you yeah. always knew who was going to score, where the ball was coming from. And they their tactics look adaptable in the way that Klopp does with Liverpool um, and some of the, the greats across Europe also do. So that, to me, says even if Leon were to get a flute goal in the second or third minute, Bayern's not going to, Bayern's not going to fold the way that city did They're They're going to, they're going to run this game. Yeah. So this is the first time. Uh, so Tuesday PSG plays Leipzig uh, Wednesday, Bayern plays Leon. Uh, this is the first time since I think 2003, 2004, when there hasn't been either an English Italian or Spanish team in the semifinals. Uh, the first time ever that there's a it's two uh, it's a German versus French teams in the uh, semifinals, um, and the first time since 2005 2006 that Ronaldo nor Messi are in the semifinals. That's also true. Yeah, so there's lots of uh, lots of uh, stuff going down. Um, so let's not talk about the semifinals. Who do you guys got? Who wins? Uh, who wins Champions League? Which uh, the final will be on Sunday? So uh, Dan. I'm taking Bayern. Uh, they're just – they're too good. MJ? Uh, this is who wins it all. Uh, Bayern looks better on both sides of the ball than any of the other teams right now. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think I really want Bayern to win it. But you know what? I'm going to be a – I'm going to say let's fucking give it to someone who's, hasn't, who's never won it. PSG, let's go. Mbappe, Neymar. That's a that, – if they're playing – if. There's one team left that there's only, there's really only I think one team left that could give Bayern a run for their money and it is PSG. Um, it's I don't think it's Leipzig. It's definitely not Lyon. Although I agree with you, Dan. I think you know Bayern. They they could keep it close against Bayern. They could play an MJ. They can keep it defensive and, and play a much better game uh, than you know wide open um, uh, Barcelona did. Um, but I think uh, my 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 head says Bayern, but my heart says PSG. Mostly Bayern because I really want that five million dollars for five million euros for. Liverpool and Coutinho. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> All right, let's very, very, very quickly. Uh, Europa League semifinals. Uh, Sevilla beat Man U two to one, and Inter uh, destroyed Shakhtar today five to nothing. 
Uh, Sevilla plays Inter on, fr on Friday for the uh, Europa final. Um, and you guys have anything to say about either of these two matches other than, you know, God, I mean, man, you went up one nothing on a yeah, PK. It was a little bit dodgy, but – and then their defense just looked like shit in the second half. Um, and then, of course, today, Inter just absolutely destroyed Shakhtar. It was, it was, you know, on the same sort of level as Bayern destroying uh, Barcelona, making them look like it was a, you know, a rec league game. The really interesting thing to me about where Manchester United is right now is they have an unbelievable amount of attacking talent, whether it's Greenwood, Martial, Bruno Fernandes, Pogba. Like, going forward, they should be even better than they are, and they're already pretty good. And they've invested in the back. I mean, Aaron Wambasaka was new in the offseason. Harry Maguire it was – is he the highest-priced defender in the world right now? Second highest behind VVD? I mean, he's – but – their pieces just aren't fitting together. I'm loath to blame the coaching, but it kind of feels like they have the right talent. Now they just need to get it mixed correctly. And that may be something that another coach needs to do. Um, yeah. But they, they did not look good. And, and like the Europa League is Sevilla's competition. We know that, but they did not look good against Sevilla. Both of those, both of those Sevilla goals were just, were classic run to the uh, end line and then, and then cut it back across and just, and wide open wide open Sevilla players. MJ, you mentioned this on Twitter. You want to talk a little bit about it? Oh, just that you have a, a Swedish center back and a Portuguese center back that have both played in the Portuguese league before coming for rival Lisbon teams, I might add, uh, before coming to Manchester, Manchester United. And the, I keep saying this every time I see it in MLS, man, that's horrible ball watching, man, that's some shitty weak side marking. But I also usually also say that you see that across the world at every level. And people are like, no, no, come on. You know, it's like, watch a Spanish game. Watch it, a Premier League game. You see late in the game, people are getting tired. Their heads on a swivel aren't on a swivel anymore. And they're ball watching. And they're not looking at where the other attacking players are. And this was a classic case of that, is of having a center back lose their mark, not mark them at all and get a really easy tap in for, the, for that game-winning goal. All right. So we got Sevilla Inter on Friday. Uh, who you guys got? I think this is Inter. Uh, they made so many good additions during the winter transfer window. Um, and they might get messy in the, uh, in the, in the, in the summer. Yeah, they, they sure might. Uh, and they're really starting to gel. I, Inter's like going to be a fun team to watch going forward, especially with Lukaku leading the line. I wish I wish their fans weren't so so racist and suck so hard. So, yeah, I mean that's I completely agree. But also, that's not unfortunately unique among yeah, especially fans. Italian soccer. MJ, who you got? Sevilla or Inter? I really like Inter. Um, obviously, I like Lukaku. The uh, who's their other forward? When they play a three-five-two, they have they have they basically have Lukaku and and another guy up there. They they both are like assist and goal machines. So Alexis Sanchez, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, Notab notable Arsenal and Man U flop, Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> um, you guys are missing it. This is Sevilla just wins Europa leagues. That's all but they yeah, fucking do. They do. Well, I'm gonna pick Sevilla because all they fucking do is win Europa leagues. <laughs> Hard to go wrong with history, David. Hard to go wrong. History repeats itself. 
Um, MJ brought up a good point here, and I'm, I'm curious. We, let's do this very quickly, maybe a couple minutes. Uh, there's been, you know, obviously there's been talk about, you know, this one-legged knockout tournament being a, a pretty big success um, in terms of getting stuff done. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting when you have a one-legged knockout tournament, there's much more, there's more, and we saw it in the uh, Champions League uh, quarterfinals, much more randomness in the, uh, in what, thing, what can happen. Um, so number, so two questions. Number one, do we like one-legged knockouts for, you know, once you get past the, maybe say the round of 16, so the quarterfinals on. And number two, would we like to see one-legged knockouts uh, again next year going forward, not just in a, in a COVID year, but like as a, as a regular thing? MJ, you you put this question out there, so why don't you why don't you uh, start? I did not put this question out oh, there. Oh, sorry, that was Dan. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, Dan. Why don't you start? So, I think I am I am a hundred percent in favor of one-legged knockouts going forward in perpetuity for two reasons. One, they are incredibly entertaining. Like every team went into this game with a plan and. They were, they were going to do something, and it was going to be amazing. Whereas in the two-leggeds, you do tend to see game one be a little bit of, you know, a little bit more of a chess match. How are you going to move your pieces? How am I going to move in response? Can I dictate to you, or are you, you going to try to dictate to me? And then a little bit more open in game two, depending on the result. But in this type of a format, there's literally no incentive for a draw. So teams really went out and, and got after it. The other reason, and this is potentially even more important to me, I think if we move to one-legged knockouts, we start to see fewer super teams. We start to see talent distribute a little more. And I realize that's a stretch, but let me, let me go with me on this. Give me just one second to explain it. So these games are incredibly random. As I brought up before, Lyon beats Manchester City, I think, once out of 100 games. And if that's a two-legged tie, there is absolutely no way, even down two goals, that City doesn't come back to win that game. I 100% believe that. Pep's going to get them up for the second game. They're not going to overthink it. Man City goes through. That is closer to their true talent level. And I will completely abide the argument that that's what you want. You want the most talented team to win the vast majority of their games. And, and the two-legged tie does that. But if we move to one-leggeds, if we embrace the randomness, there is a, a decreased likelihood that teams will build these super-duper teams knowing that they always have two shots at the target or two bites at the apple to beat a team that sort of randomizes and beats them in the one. So fewer super teams, more parity in the leagues – higher randomness, more entertaining games. I have no reason that I would ever want to move back to two-legged ties. And I would firmly believe this, even if Arsenal hadn't shit the bed in the Europa League. So are you, so are you suggesting one-legged ties at, like a, at a neutral venue or one-legged ties, like just at randomly? So like it, you might be, you might, might get drawn with Liverpool at Anfield. You, you're cool with playing a one-legged tie there? No, yeah. I want to. It'll be do. We'll do neutral venues, or okay. even better, we just won't do either team's park. So Liverpool and Arsenal could play, but they're going to play in Park de Prince, or they're <laughs> going to play in Allianz Arena, not Allianz Field. Uh, so okay. if somebody plays at Anfield, it might be Manchester United, Manchester <laughs> United Sevilla at Anfield. I'm here for because I'm here for every Liverpudlian coming out and booing the shit out of Manchester United <laughs> and becoming 24-hour Sevilla fans. 
All right, MJ, what are your, what are your thoughts? Let's just cool it on making everything NCAA Final Four, having pods, people go to singular locations, have it being really convenient, and have it making fans travel long ways away just to see their home team. No, I'm going to argue for traditionalism here. We, we want to sell tickets. UEFA wants to make money. And you're going to do that by holding two legs, one in each of the team's home stadiums. And you know what, Dan? We have a knockout tournament in soccer where everyone goes to one location conveniently, and it's a big deal. It's called the World Cup. And we can save our joy for single-game elimination type of soccer for World Cup. It's a fair criticism. I'm not saying it's not. But um, I just I want to vindicate that Chicago it was a Chicago Tribune reporter who asked Bastion Feinsteiger if the fire were going to win the World Cup. I want that guy's dream to become a reality. That's fair. That's fair. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah, I'll you know what I kind of I'll split the difference. I I I really like one legged knockouts. Um, though knowing like if they had done this like last year, for example, and the, just the first legs would have been the, the legs. Liverpool would have been knocked out of the Champions League, right? They put, they played at the Camp Nou and, and lost three nothing. Um, I think you can do it. I like the idea of having a sort of a mini tournament where the teams are all together. I think you can maybe you do two legs through the quarterfinals, and then the semifinals and the finals is is a uh, a proposition that you could that might that might hit both, right? It's, it allows for a neutral venue, one legged tournament for two games basically or three games so the two semifinals and the final you could do it in the in a span of basically five days right so it's not as much of a cost barrier for people who want to travel and you can do it at a neutral venue so you basically do it over like a long weekend more or less um that might you know might be a way to sort of do a, a compromise of the two but if i have to pick one or the other i i you know i kind of lean towards having more one-legged knockout runs and we're going to see this actually in uh, Carabao Cup and uh, FA Cup next year, there's not going to be replays. Um, so there is going to be, both those tournaments are going to be one-legged knockout tournaments. So, um, you know, you might see Arsenal and Liverpool playing at the either Emirates or or the at Anfield in, you know, the third round of the FA Cup. And one of those teams might be going home because of, you know, where they're playing. So, I mean, that happened this year. Yeah. That happened in the League Cup this year. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, the, the, the lack of replays – it increases the likelihood that you get dag and red against Manchester United in the theater of dreams or Luton town, you know, going into Chelsea and, you know, playing a high stakes game. I like, I, I, I just don't see the downside to this. And MJ to your world cup point, which is, which is completely dead on by the way. Uh, it does take a little bit of the specialness away from, uh, from the world cup. I'm envisioning a year that I can make the final work and gathering in Munich or Paris or what, like one of the great European cities, Rome, with Arsenal fans from all over the world. And all of us, Africans, Americans, South Americans, singing stupid Arsenal songs in jerseys, like somebody's got a Robin Van Persie. I'm in a Theo Walcott because I never got over that phase of my fandom. I still love Theo Walcott. He's still an Arsenal player to me, and I know he plays for Everton. But, like, that to me sounds like an absolutely amazing 
jaw-droppingly cool experience because that is one of the cool things about club football right like we have these european teams we have fans here that cheer with them cheer for them with us but we also know we're part of this global community and that is not particularly true of a world cup uh because that's where you get like hey the english fans are gonna fight everyone or the russian fans are gonna fight everyone well so the uefa cup finals traditionally are held at a neutral it can be not neutral if a team gets lucky, but the the finals are usually held in 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 a stadium that is not home to either either club. It's true. That's fine. I will say this: you both are reminding me of a rant I used to go on, and I haven't gone on it in a while. So I'll just try to sum it up this way: the FIFA Club World Cup should not be an every year event uh, with just seven clubs from. You know, it shouldn't be like a Confed Cup, which is what it is. It, it, it should be a once every four years thing and done with like a World Cup, but for clubs. And you, you have 32 teams. Yeah, a lot of them are going to be from Europe. But in, in order to allow the rest of the, the world to catch up, you can't give them all to Europe. So you can't have 30 teams from Europe and, and two from the rest of the world. But if they ha had some sort of allocation where they did a real club World Cup, like a World Cup with 32 teams, and this was a single country location event, it only happens once every four years. I would love to see something like that. I'm going to stop you right there, MJ. They're doing that. I think there's going to happen every like two years, but they're doing a, I think it's going to happen. The first one's supposed to be happening in 2021 with 32 teams. They're doing that. <laughs> uh, they're doing a club, uh, international club, all. Yes, yes. the club all World six Cup. Confederations. Club World Cup is going to cease to be what it has been, and it's going to become a more like an actual World Cup tournament with 32 teams. Yes, yeah. I didn't know this. This is news. This is yeah. This you is, won, MJ. You yeah, got, you, you got your wish. This is my best of both worlds. Like I want, I want Champions League to be Champions League. I want it to be two legs until the final. But uh, um, I think it's Copa Libertadores. It has the weird two-legged final. They have uh, not anymore. They used to. They were one of the last ones. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not anymore, but they're, they're one of the lessons. But yeah, yeah I, I like I like my my you know club competitions within a continent to be more more traditional. But I really would have been wanting to see that club World cup expand. You're gonna get your wish, buddy. Don't worry. All right, we have one question, then we'll get out of here. Um, Chad uh, at CS Money 1980 asks, "Is Minnesota United the best defensive team in the league with their new additions? If Opara plays." I don't think Debassy makes a big enough difference, to be honest. Like, uh, I mean, and I say that sight unseen, so that may be extremely idiotic. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. Uh, but to me, their starters are probably still Gasper, Opara, Boxel, Metinair. Um Boy, you can sure make the argument. Uh, Nashville has actually looked really good on a on a expected goals basis. Nashville's been the best team in the league so far, with a huge caveat that they didn't play the MLS back. So. I'm not going to go that far, but they're definitely top five. Yeah, without me looking at the rest of the league, I'm going to say they're top three. For defenses? Yeah. And, I, and when I say defenses, I'm not just talking about the back four or the goalkeeper. You know, you have to include Ozzy in that. You, you look at the way they're, they're forward, the, the way your attacking players help on D and are organized and – Damn it, David, from last week's pod, you, you convinced me that 
there is something that Heath is doing defensively in, in attempting us to play something. There's, I have to give him more credit. So between, you know, him and Macaulay on the defensive side, coaching things and, and the players that we have and that we have shown to be able to adapt a little bit to different attacking plans. I say top three. Yeah, that seems fair. They were, they were top five defense last year. Um, you know, it, again, without, without seeing Debassi, it's, it's hard to say number one, um, the best defense uh, in the league last year was, I believe actually was um, uh, DC United uh, only allowed 30 or no, sorry. It was LAFC, which only allowed 37 goals last year. Surprisingly, it seemed like their defense was their weak point, but maybe it was only against us and LA Galaxy where they allowed uh, oodles of goals. So um, I think we're better than LAFC uh, on the back line because LAFC last year was with, was with Walker Zimmerman, who um, is now on that national defense that Dan, Dan alluded to. Um, so, yeah, why not? We're the best defense if Opar is healthy. Fuck it. Why not? We what if DSC have... starts? Yeah. <laughs> The problem, the problem is, yeah, we also had Minone, who I think uh, saved our saved our bacon more than once uh, <laughs> during matches last year when our defense had a, faltered a little bit. So, all right. Well, thank you, guys. We did not uh, get under the 120 that I think we wanted to, but I think it's well, probably only like 130, 140. Um, rate and review us, please, wherever you listen to this podcast, especially if you're on Spotify. DavesIKnow.com, HeathOut.com, Patreon.com. Slash Dave's I know that Dave's I know dot substack dot com at TDIKMN and Twitter. Bill is still in the in the woods. Uh, he is eternally in the woods, but you can always reach him at Bill underscore McGuire. I think he gets text messages up there, so I think he's checking his his uh, Twitter messages via his via text. Uh, MJ's at MJ Matsui. Dan's at Dwayne. I'm at Texas Eller. We have been the Dave's You Know. This is Land here become fecund. Yeah, uh, we, we yeah. do our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be we, done. Uh, we, we do our thing, son.